Hi, my name is Creed. In early 2020, my father passed away unexpectedly. One of the hardest parts of losing him is missing out on all the wisdom he had to share. Now, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I don't want to miss another opportunity to learn. I started this podcast to gain as much wisdom as I can, and I want to share that journey with you. This is the Goodbye Principle. today we got we got Stephen Lance who is uh always known Stephen he's always been around in my life um I watched you spit up as a child yeah yep and a couple times recently that's true that's true I've seen a couple diaper changes fortunately (laughs) I was never the one doing them but I did witness some so um yeah I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy um Stephen is uh he was my dad's best friend um he's a great father uh super wise guy uh, and Twice I don't, guy. I don't mean that in a, <laughs> in a bad I think sense. You, I know exactly how you make that. Too. Thank you. Um, no, he's a, he's a good friend. He, um, he values people, uh, and he loves the Lord. So I'm really excited to have him. Um, Stephen, would you mind just kind of telling people kind of who you are and what you're about? Sure. Um, I guess first and foremost, I am a husband and father. That's probably my favorite two roles on this earth. I've been married to my lovely wife, Melanie for 26 years, I think. Um, she'll let me know when she listens to this, if that was right or wrong, but I'm if pretty the, sure if you're on the couch tonight, you'll find 19, out. <laughs> yes. 1994 was the year, November 12th. So it's, the math is the hard part. Um, and, uh, I always refer to her as my first wife uh, because she is, she doesn't like that a whole lot, but she is my first wife. So, uh, yeah, that, and I have three lovely daughters. I have a 23 year old Hayden who is off the payroll officially. She's in grad school, but she's working full time. Okay. which is always the goal is to get the kids off the payroll. So uh, one one check, and then I've got Carter, who is a junior in college, and she'll be off the payroll in about a year and a half, so that's exciting. And then uh, third is Kaylin, the surprise third child in my family. She is um, a volleyball player, freshman at Dutch Fork High School, go Silver Foxes. And um, so I've almost made it through, through that part of life. I'm looking forward to the next phase, but – uh, she likes to remind me I still have to parent her, and so um, still have to feed her and those kind of things. All the rest of them have cars and have their own account, so it's a lot easier to, to, to deal with them. But anyway, yeah, so that's that's probably me in a nutshell. That's most of my free time is being a husband and father. Uh, but when they let me also work, I work for Clemson University. Uh, even though I graduated from the other university here in Columbia with my first degree, um, I went on to find Clemson in the upstate and actually ended up getting a master's degree while I've worked there for the last 21 years. And for the last six years, I've had the good fortune of being the executive director of a unit at Clemson called the Youth Learning Institute. And uh, we kind of have one foot in public service world where we do charter schools and summer camps and fun things like that. And we also have another foot in the world of research. And so we work with faculty and try to study what makes programs work and what makes programs not work and try to help other youth serving agencies better uh, their services so that the kids of South Carolina beyond can be positively impacted. So that's me. That's, that's what I do. That's really cool. And you also did, uh, you spent some time in ministry, right? Yeah. I've never actually been on a paid staff in ministry. I volunteered in a lot of different capacities. I served as a Sunday school teacher for high school students. I've ushered and I've uh, been a youth leader and, and done those kind of things, but um, I always felt like, 
you know, when you're a lay person working in a church, you're really appreciated. The parents really appreciate the work with their youth and the, the pastor really appreciates you. But when you, once you get a paycheck, then all of a sudden church people kind of get nasty sometimes. Yeah. So I like the, uh, the being a lay person volunteer. It just made, um, to me, I got all the good without having to deal with, you know, maybe some of the bad stuff that goes on in church world. Yeah. Yes. I got to see enough of that with your dad when he was in ministry. Yeah. So that, <laughs> yeah. that kept me away. <laughs> For sure. Um, so ministry is obviously a really big part of your life. Um, mm-hmm. I know that it is very apparent in your marriage and in your family, but how do you lead your team at work uh, based on your beliefs without imposing those beliefs on your employees? Yeah, that's, that's a good question because uh, you mentioned, you know, working, you said ministry and I immediately went to church and uh, Christianity, which uh, that that's obviously the faith that I believe in. And I work for a secular university. And, uh, and so therefore there is a clear division, obviously separation of church and state. Um, but that doesn't mean that as a Christian man, that I can't live based on the principles that I believe. And of course, there's there's a great connection. Uh, we live in a Judeo-Christian country, and so the values and principles that are, I think are, are respected by most people in our country come from those biblical principles. So it's not a, a far step. Obviously, you don't proselytize. You don't try to bring people necessarily over to your, you know, your denomination, your faith. But uh, there's a lot of principles and virtues, values. Uh, that cross over and and hopefully if we do our job good enough as as Christian men uh, in leadership that people will will see what you have and they'll want it and it it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to use the the church language to to get people to see Jesus in you hopefully they'll just see what you have in your life and the peace that you have and and uh, and they'll want some of that and yeah. so they'll come and ask you on a personal level you know how do I how do I get what you what you have just by living that example in your life. Hopefully that's, that's the plan anyway. Don't always sure. succeed at that, but that's, that's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned, um, leadership as, as men, um, which I think is pretty interesting because, you know, we hear a lot in the news about toxic masculinity and, and things like that. And, uh, a lot of negativity around, uh, the phrase quote, being a man and, you know, man up. Um, but what do you think being a real man looks like? Yeah. And unfortunately I think there's a lot of criticism on both ends of the spectrum. I mean, you certainly, you know, you, and I don't want to be offensive to people, but you have one version of, of manliness that's put out there today and you drive your Prius and you have your soy latte and maybe you only eat vegetables or, or whatever. And, and yeah. I'm not trying to knock that, but, you know, that's one image of modern man. And then there's also the other extreme. Of course, we've had somebody in the White House, that I think, is kind of on the other end of the spectrum with a lot of bravado and yeah. chest thumping and. And uh, I would just like to put out there, maybe there's something in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe there is a middle scenario where um, you know, it's not all bad to have some of the traditional qualities that are associated with masculinity. Uh, but you shouldn't have to go around and tell people. Um, you know, mm-hmm. my experience is if you have to go around and tell somebody how tough you are, you're usually not that tough. If you yeah. have to go around and tell somebody how generous you are, you're probably not that generous. So sure. I think, you know, in today's society, the, the polarization um, it kind of gets the attention. That's what gets in the media. That's what gets on TV. That's what gets in a sitcom or a movie is kind of the extremes. But I think there's a lot of good men out there that quietly go about their business. They're humble. They show up for work. They're faithful to their family. Uh, they volunteer in their church and civic opportunities and give back. And you just, unfortunately those people don't make it on TV a lot. Those sure. People just don't get a lot of the attention. And, um, and so I think, I think it's happening. I think that's what makes our country great. Um, there are kind of those unsung heroes that just do the right thing and mm-hmm. don't expect to get a lot of praise for it. But, but yeah, I mean, I think humility is a big part of it. Uh, not having to go around telling everybody that you're a man. Yeah. 
to be a man. I think uh, being a servant, you know, putting other people first. Uh, I, th- I just think that's a quality that really separates real leaders. Um, if you have to go around and tell everybody that you have the power, then I don't think you really have the power. Sure. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's spot on. You know, there's a lot of people who want you to know um, that they are a man or that they are grown and and don't want to don't want to put any of that any of the effort into it into actually doing what it takes to to hold that title because it is a rite of passage. Sure. To call yourself sure. a man. Yeah, and I think you know if you look at biblical examples. I mean, the folks that we read after, especially in the New Testament, they were leaders in their respect, right? They, yeah. they led a ministry. They, they started the early church, but they were also followers, too. Uh, they had to first follow and learn and be discipled before they could do that. And I think sometimes we like to kind of put up uh, on a pedestal the leaders, um, but we don't celebrate followership sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, we ought to give those people who are taking their turn following. And, and of course, there's a time and a place to do both roles, right? So even if you don't have a family, if you don't have kids, if you're not married, you still have to lead yourself sure. first. So everybody has some kind of leadership role, even if it's just leadership of one. Um, and hopefully over time, you know, you can grow that and be a leader of more people. Um, but everybody certainly is a follower, and you're probably a follower a lot more than you're a leader. Sure. But there's so many books written on how to be a good leader, but I don't read a lot of books on how to be a good follower. And, yeah. and I think that, um, you know, that's an area that, that we can help uh, older folks like myself can help younger people like yourself uh, try to distinguish when to be a follower, when to be a leader. Sure. Now, what did, um, you know, to use your term, discipleship doesn't just have to be, you know, a, a Christian churchy term. Sure. Um, but uh, what did discipleship look like in your life as a follower and a leader now? Yeah. And discipleship is a churchy term. Uh, mentorship might be a better, sure. better word. And, and I think back through history, even outside of the church, the way that people used to get good at doing things was by watching other people do it for mm-hmm. a long period of time. Like we used to have apprenticeships and of course with modern education, we've gotten away from a lot of that. Um, everybody thinks they have to go to college for, for 10 years to, to be an expert in something. And I work for a college, so I guess I can, I can pick <laughs> on that. But, but the really, the way that I've experienced in my life, the way of getting good at things is to watch somebody who's good at those things and to ask questions and then try it and be in a safe place where you can try it as well. And that's really what mentorship looks like. Um, you know, and I mentioned before, I have kids that are kind of at different stages in development. Yeah. And, um, as a parent, the hard part is allowing them to, to step out and take some chances, do some things on their own, but also be there kind of as a safety net so that when things don't go right, you can help them see where they went wrong and maybe make yeah. some better decisions. Yeah. And, um, and so I think it's not convenient and it's hard work in the sense that it takes time uh, nowadays, everything we kind of the microwave generation. Where we want to put something in 30 seconds later, we want it to be ready to go. Right. And mentorship, discipleship, apprenticeship, whatever you want to call it. It takes, it takes years, you yeah. know? And, um, I think about this all the time. I, I don't know if I felt like a real adult until I was in my thirties hmm. and uh, talking about being a man. I don't know if I really felt like a man until maybe I was in my forties. I mean, there's certainly times that, that I did, but you have to go through enough life experience. I think to really feel comfortable in your own skin. It takes a while. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's interesting to talk about, you know, mentorship and and discipleship and, you know, again, whatever the term we want to use is, um, but that can look different, you know, in, in a lot of different stages of life, you know, parenting is another form of mentorship in a way. Right. Sure. Um, and so one of the things that I, has always been interesting to me, um, is how do you, you obviously as a Christian man, you want your children to grow up and meet Christ, right? Sure. So how do you let them 
figure out and find their own faith without pushing them too hard. Um, but also letting them figure it out for themselves and explore their own beliefs. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a tough one. We've been very fortunate. Um, I've had three, three children that so far seem to have made very wise choices, uh, with their friends, um, with the people they choose to associate with. So obviously, like you said, you want to give them room to grow and have their own thoughts and ideas. And we don't agree on everything. Uh, you know, it's fun to watch them. My two oldest daughters now have voted in elections. And so it's fun Mm -hmm. to have those conversations. Sure. And, um, you know, I joke with them all the time and, and you're young and idealistic, you know, early twenties, you think that uh, you have a vision for what the world can and should be like. And as you get older, maybe you get a little more cynical and jaded and and that sort of thing. So it's good. I I think there needs to be more generational diversity in a lot of ways in churches and workplaces because there's value to both of those things. Uh, but to get back to your original question, Um, you know, you want to put them into a structured environment in in our case, you know, we had our kids involved in, in youth activities at church. Um, some of my kids attended a Christian school for a period of time. And so we wanted them to be exposed to things, but uh, as someone who attended a Christian school myself for a period of time growing up, also saw a lot of kids that were force fed, told what to believe, had all the answers, but it wasn't in their heart. It wasn't something that they truly believed. And when they got older and they got faced with the real world, then all that fell apart. And I still have friends, you know, 20, 30 years later that have walked away from faith and, and haven't found their way back yet. And so I was very concerned about that. My wife actually went to a Christian school for all 13 years of her undergrad and, and actually went to one year Christian college. And so we were both very aware of how, um, the balance, how do you expose them to what you believe is truth and what you believe is right. And hopefully they saw that in the home. Um, I was fortunate. I grew up in a Christian home where what I heard at church matched very closely to what I saw with my parents and my grandparents. And uh, so that was, I guess the the other big thing is just trying not to be too hypocritical, certainly not perfect, but looking for ways to demonstrate that, that what we believe actually works. And it's not just something we do on Sundays or we do before a meal, but it was something that was in our heart. And fortunately, like I say, to this point, it looks like my, my children have bought into what what we believe. And sure. so that's been, been very reaffirming. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that, that is, um, you know, we're talking a lot about leadership. Um, and I think one of the things that kind of gets lost a little bit is what it means to be a leader, uh, in a marriage. Um, you know, a lot of people from the secular world will hear the term submit, uh, from a wife should submit to her husband. Uh, and they think that means just, turn over and, and just say, go with whatever the man says. Um, and obviously that's not the case. Um, so what were some unexpected challenges that you found in your marriage, um, that were examples of work and it not being easy? Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think there's work in everything that's meaningful. So I do think that that, that is a part of marriage, Sure. but if it's too much work, then you probably pick the wrong person, you know, so I, there's a balance to that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say the thing about marriage, uh, in a successful marriage is the word that I would use instead of work is it's a choice. So, you know, being the father of three kids, uh, if it takes the whole pregnancy, certainly the moment that they come out of their mother and you see them, touch them, hold them for the first time, there's some unconditional love that you have for your child that you, you can't explain, right? So Mm -hmm. your child could be an ax murderer and you're still going to unconditionally love your child. Sure. That doesn't exist with your spouse. So that means that you don't have that same unconditional connection. You might love them, but it's just not, it's just not the same. Sure. And so that's where I think it's different. You have to choose to do the things that are going to make your marriage strong. 
uh, I think some people that is work. Um, yeah. and again, a lot of times if you pick the wrong person, that can, that can make it a whole lot of work. But, um, you know, you hear all the things, if you've attended any kind of marriage seminars or anything, they talk about, you know, women need love, men need respect and communication. All those things are very true. Uh, but really what I've seen in the examples in successful marriage, like your parents' marriage, your grandparents, I mean, we, we obviously run in the same circles, my grandparents, my parents, is that in all those cases, the common denominator is that they put each other first. Mm. The husband puts the wife first and the wife puts the husband first. And I do think people get carried away with the submit thing. The, the Bible is sure. very clear. It says submit to each other. Sure. And um, if if each spouse is putting the other person first, then you don't have to worry about um, is the husband loving his wife and is the wife respecting the husband. And, um, you know, but I think the biggest thing that I've learned is about controlling expectations. This is true in life in every facet, but I think, you know, men and women go into relationships and go into marriage with very wildly different expectations about what marriage is going to be like. Women have sure. more of a fairy tale romance and then of course you, know, you you have a brother so you've and you know you've lived with dudes mm -hmm. it's not that exciting to, right. to live with the guys uh, we're smelly and we're dirty and we don't always do the things that that would be considered romantic for women right yeah and then on the other hand you have guys who think that you know, they now have a wife so it's like the salad bar right <laughs> anytime every time uh, and that's just not the way the real world works right it might be that way for a period of time but then life happens and children happen and so I think that a big part of success in marriage is managing those expectations, being realistic hmm. and not just before you get married, but as you get married, and as you go through different seasons in life, things are going to change. When you have kids, it's a totally different dynamic in a marriage. Uh, sure. When kids grow up and they start leaving the house, totally different dynamic. So just knowing that you men and women typically have different expectations about what marriage is going to be like and talking about those things and, and just being upfront about, Hey, this isn't what I expected. Yeah. Um, you know, how do we deal with that? Yeah. You said when you have kids, there's just unconditional love for those kids. Uh, and you don't have that with your spouse because it's just a different relationship, but still always put your spouse first. What's the reasoning behind putting your spouse first? If you are, if you don't have that unconditional love for your kids, does that make sense? Yeah. And, and, um, I, I tell my kids all the time uh, growing up and it used to be shocking to them, but they've heard me say it so many times. I, they always ask me who they love more, right? They like to pit me against them. And I always tell them their mother. Yeah. And, um, and it's for the same reason because I don't have a choice. Like I, my love for them is unconditional, but I have to choose every day. I have to choose to love their mother more. And, and I tell them all the time, look, our family existed before you were created, sure. right? So there was a husband and a wife. We, we were the lances before you were conceived and before you made it to this planet. Mm -hmm. And so you are in addition to an already existing family. I have to protect that family, right? Sure. You have to, you as the child have to adjust to my family, my wife, right. and you know, what, what our family unit looks like. And the kids are very flexible. They're very adaptable. Um, if you love them and provide structure, they seem to appreciate that. Mm. Um, now, especially with the firstborns, they like to make it about them. Uh, they think the world <laughs> should, and with grandparents and friends, I mean, Hayden, our oldest, she was the first child born in our friend group. So she got spoiled by the grandparents. She got spoiled by our friends. Sure. Um, so kids definitely want the world to revolve around them, but you have to resist that urge. And, uh, you know, you have to prioritize things like going away as a husband and wife, leaving yeah. your kids with grandma or with a babysitter for a weekend. Yeah. And uh, that's the kind of thing. It, wanting to play with your kids, wanting to go to their activities, wanting to watch them in recitals and watch them play sports. Man, you don't have to work at that. 
You're yeah. just drawn to want to be there. But with your spouse, it's just easy to get busy doing other things. And so you have to, you have to make that the priority. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about being a husband um, that you weren't expecting, I should say, to be your favorite thing? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I've ever thought about that, but I think it's that I know that I got a fan at home. Uh, sometimes at work or in other environments, you feel like the world is against you. Yeah. You know, the circumstances are against you at work, coworkers, the system, you know, what government, whatever it is, you just feel beat up sometimes. So to be able to come home and see your best friend and know that person loves and respects you and will listen to you. Um, I, I think that that is probably the best thing that you don't think about when you get, you know, there's a lot of other benefits of being married, but having that steady friend, that, that champion, that cheerleader, that's going to tell you everything's going to be okay and that you're doing a good job and they're proud of you. Um, if you don't have a woman that does that, you you got the wrong one. Yeah. So. And now we've, we've heard uh, a couple times you saying, you know, if it's too much work, you probably haven't found the right one. And, um, and if you don't have a woman who's going to be, you know, your biggest fan, your best friend, your cheerleader, then you probably have the wrong one. How did you know that Melanie was your right one? Sure. Well, um, yeah. And I guess, you know, we dated for three and a half years. We, we were friends before we dated. I knew her family. So I think a lot of that's just knowing where they come from. And, and, you know, we dated long enough that I saw the relationship that her family had. And, um, and of course, you know, we're lucky. Both of us come from stable families. A lot of people don't, and that's not their fault. Right. Sure. Um, you know, you can come from an unstable family's situation and there's nothing you can do about it. It's just the reality that, that you were given. Right. But I think a lot of it is just taking time, uh, you know, don't move too fast, but make sure that you go through enough ups and downs in life that you can kind of see how that person's going to react when things aren't going well. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, about the work thing, I mean, there's certainly periods and there's seasons in life where it's more work than not. Um, so especially when you're first married, adjusting to living together, you have young children in the house. That is a very exhausting time in anybody's life. Yeah. Uh, usually that's early in your career. So you're still having to hustle and, um, maybe not have as much flexibility outside of the home. Sure. So, uh, you know, I don't want to make it sound like it's, it's just easy, um, but it also also be pleasurable, right? I mean, it's right. meant to be a relationship that that adds value to your life. It's not meant to be something that that drags you down or that draws yeah. energy away from you. So, yeah, I mean, I think spending time together, um, it was you know obviously I made sure that Mel and I were pulling in the same direction spiritually. Mm -hmm. She had the same goals. I knew that we had the same values for our children. When we had them, we both you know, wanted the same outcomes, and so just making sure we we talk a lot. I mean, we you know we some people are better communicators than other. I'm pretty lucky in the sense that I, that I think I'm a decent communicator for a guy. And, um, so I think a lot of that's just while you're dating, just making sure that you're having lots of conversations about what the future could look like and, yeah. you know, what you want in life to make sure that you're pulling in the same direction. I th unfortunately, I think some people wait until they have the physical attraction. There's a chemistry, they have fun together, but you need to invest in some of the long-term conversations as well. What's life going to be like? What do you want out of life? You know, how much of a career do you want? How much are you planning on working? And do you want to move or do you want to stay close to home? Having those conversations, you don't just need to assume that it's going to all work out. Yeah, that's great. Now, again, we've, we've used the term, you probably don't have the right one, you know, that right person for you. Do you believe that there is a one person for you or do you think that you could maybe end up with multiple people or, um, that's a funny question. My wife and I have actually had this fight many times in our, mm -hmm. in our marriage. Uh, she's more of the soulmate person. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, I think I've probably evolved over time in that opinion. I guess when I was younger, I thought 
that um, there could be more than one person out there for you. And, and it's certainly hard for me to argue that Mel and I weren't made for each other just because uh, we have gotten along, uh, you know, for 26 years. So sure. who would put up with me if they weren't <laughs> meant to be for me to, <laughs> sure. to keep me straight? But, uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. I also know people that have lost spouses and then been uh, very happily remarried. And, and so, I mean, that's a tricky question. Uh, I don't know if I know the answer. I mean, I think I've mm-hmm. kind of evolved in that area. And, and I don't also don't know how I turned into uh, giving you know, marital advice so much. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, uh, I feel like a little Dr. Phil uh, over here, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I used to think that, that I, that people could be happy with different people in relationships, hmm. but the older I get, maybe I just uh, getting soft in my old age. Yeah. Um, I've kind of softened on that stance. Yeah. So being a dad to three girls, um, obviously they're, um, Christian household, they're all looking for, um, hopefully they're looking for men that would resemble the same qualities as you, um, that would be able to lead them and, and love them very well. And, um, and so it's interesting to, to hear kind of some of the things that we talk about being a good man and, uh, and loving your wife well, but what are some of the things that, that you look for and would tell your kids to look for in these guys, you know, whether it's, whether they believe in a one soulmate or whether they believe that they could, there might be 10 people in the whole world and they could have a successful marriage with each one of them. How do you help them navigate through the dating scene? Sure. Yeah. And, um, I gotta be careful here. Cause obviously my, my two older girls are dating guys <laughs> that may listen to this. Right. So I have to be careful. They better be listening. To yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, um, I, you know, I think on one hand, um, you, you know, there's some safety in, in having guys that are like you, but then, uh, you know, I'm, they're not me. And, sure. and so hopefully we share some good qualities and, and I don't know if, you know, obviously our bad qualities may or may not be the same, but I think again, just trying to get my girls to value the important things, you know, faith wise, are they, are they pulling in that the same direction as hopefully the direction they're pulling in as far as trying to have a relationship with God mm-hmm. And, uh, do they treat them well? Obviously there's some deal breakers in there, you know, no, sure. no abuse of any kind, physical, emotional. So you don't want a guy that's going to, again, you're, sp- the whole point is you're supposed to build the other person up and make them a better version of themselves sure. when you're around. So if that's not happening, that's a, that's a deal breaker. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just looking for guys that, um, that are going to, that are going to support their family. They're going to provide, they're going to protect. You know, the typical things that I guess you would expect a dad to say that he wants is, and a lot of people ask me the question, is it hard for you to see your girls dating guys? And the answer is no. Hmm. I want them to have what, what my wife and I have, right? I want them to have the relationship that they see their grandparents have. And so there's a joy in that. Um, It's certainly a loss in some ways when you think about your daughters uh, marrying and moving out and, and, you know, being away. But uh, also know that's a great source source of joy sure. in their life, and that I want for them. That's the whole point in raising them as kids, so they can be productive adults and and have a lot of the same good things in their life. So we've been very fortunate. Um, our girls, again, one of their greatest qualities, I think, is they're very discerning when it comes to the people that they're around. That includes boyfriends. So we've yeah. been been very pleased so far. Yeah, well, good. Well, Stephen, we'll uh, get to the signature question of the show uh, as we wrap up here and. And say goodbye to the listeners. What is one principle that you live by, uh, something that you would be proud to leave behind as a a lasting legacy attached to your name? Sure. And this is the one question that I knew that you were going to ask me. (laughs) And um, it's not a principle that I created. And of course, you know, we we talk all the time in the church world about things not being, there's nothing new under the sun, right? So everything's already been talked about. But 
Um, a mentor of mine, not a virtual mentor, I should say, I've been in the room with him, but I've never actually met him is Andy Stanley out of Atlanta. Mm, um, I listen to every podcast. I listen to every uh, book, uh, everything that he's put out. I just try to soak it up for whatever reason, his communication style really just speaks uh, well to me, mm. but he's got a book out. I guess it's probably 10 years old at this point called the principle of the path. Mm-hmm. Very easy read. Uh, you can probably find a lot of information online, but the principle of the path is direction not intention determines destination. Hmm. And of course he's using the analogy of the path, you know, a road of your life, the journey of your life. And a lot of times people look back and they wonder, how did I get to where I am? Like they're 40 years old, 30 years old, 50 years old. And they, they struggle to understand how they got there. They're like, I had the best intentions. I planned on making good decisions. I planned on making a lot of money and that's not where I'm at. And people are flustered by that because it, they think their intentions are what's going to get them where they want to go. Yep. But you know, the principle that he's talking about is it's the direction is it's the way that you're facing is the decisions that you make every step of your life. Um, obviously we're not going to always make good decisions. We're going to make some that are sideways or maybe even take us backwards. But I just, I've always related to that point uh, ever since I read the book, yep. um, just because you know, whether it's in the church world or whether it's at the university working with young people in charter schools and summer camps, um, whether it's, you know, just conversations like this, I just think it's very consistent to be able to tell people, look, your intentions are great. The desires that you have, the expectations that you have for your life, but what's really going to determine where you end up in life is going to be the steps that you take, the choices you make, the people that you're around. Um, And that starts, you know, probably in middle school, that starts in high school and you know, the old saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There's a lot of decisions mm-hmm. that we make. And ultimately you become the cumulative product of those decisions. Yeah. That's one thing that I love about what you're doing with this podcast is obviously you're, you're a 20 year old guy, soon to be 21. Um, your dad was a huge source of wisdom in your life. I mean, yeah. he always prayed for wisdom. He was somebody that I leaned on for wisdom in my life. Uh, we were peers, but we constantly would challenge each other and ask questions and, and, Sure. help each other. Um, obviously he's not here to do that for you right now. And so you're having to yep. lean on other people. And I think that's the thing that I appreciate most about this podcast and what you're doing is a lot of people your age are looking towards their peers, hmm. right? They're not looking for the advice of old people. And, um, I just think, how do you, how do you know if you're getting good direction, if you're asking people that haven't been there yep. and uh, there's certainly value in youth and there's value in energy and, and what you get, but there's also value in wisdom. Sure. And so I appreciate you giving me a chance to, to share some of the things that I've been taught yeah, in my man. years. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for the kind words and thanks for giving up the time. Um, I know we're about to go eat some de- very delicious wings Absolutely. as we wrap up here. Um, but, uh, what, what's next for you? What are you working on? Well, hopefully this COVID thing is going to be over with here soon. Uh, a big part of our operations at Clemson, our summer programming, we didn't get to have summer camps last year. So, if you have middle school age children, I guess upper elementary, middle school age children, check us out. Uh, just type in Clemson YLI Youth Learning Institute summer camps, and we've got five different options across the state. So uh, if you've got young kids that are looking for interactive summer experiences, we're hoping and praying that COVID will be a thing of the past after everybody gets these vaccines out. And um, that's probably my biggest prayer right now is just that life can return. I, I've just seen the impact it's had on kids. Yeah. They feel isolated. And, um, we're really, there's a lot more we can do to help our kids. And I'm just looking forward to getting back to normal. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Steven. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Later guys.